0: Thank you very much for tuning in, as always. It's always a pleasure, always informative, always fun to welcome Ian Bremmer to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Mr. Bremmer is the president and founder of Eurasia Group, a leading global political risk research and consulting firm. It occurs to me we really need to put a link to the, uh, the, the top global risks for 2018 report that uh, they put out fairly recently. Uh, Mr. Bremmer joins us now. Ian, how are you, sir?
1: I'm very well. Good to be back with
0: you. Uh, thank you. I uh, appreciate that. Listen, I want to talk about the conference in Davos and, and, and what's actually going on there and Donald Trump and the rest of it. But I absolutely love the tweet you put out um, pretty recently. might have even been today um, that said Uber, the world's largest taxi company, owns no vehicles. Facebook, the most popular media owner, creates no content. Alibaba, the most valuable retailer, has no inventory. Airbnb, the largest accommodation provider, owns no real estate and uh, that Tom Goodwin put that out, the old definitions are increasingly useless, because I can hear somebody saying, well, Uber's not really a taxi company, and they've missed the point completely.
1: Yeah, and, uh, you know, blockchain, distributed ledger, is going to do even more uh, to uh, allow network effects to create massive efficiency and economic growth, but do it with fewer jobs. I mean, the other the other point here is that all these firms produce an enormous amount of wealth and value, but actually employ a lot fewer people uh, than the old line manufacturing industries uh, of yesteryear.
0: Mm-hmm. Which is obviously a problem and disruptive politically, but we can get into that more. But I'm thinking, is there, is there a single way to look at the changing world that everybody listening, involved in, all the different businesses listeners are, can look at this thing, uh, at, at the state of the world? I was having a conversation with a fellow we work with um, in San Francisco who was talking about how anybody who thinks a quote-unquote radio company is just a radio company is a fool and living in the past. How do you embrace the change So you're not way behind the curve.
1: Uh, I guess you you try to recognize uh, that the economics are great and the politics suck and that those two trajectories are not together sustainable. So if if the people running the firms don't find ways to ensure that they can better align with the politics, they can make people realize that that growth and free trade is beneficial for them then ultimately the liberal democratic models and the free market models that our politics and economics uh, have grown together. Uh, they're not going to be sustainable together.
0: Well, that's interesting. That's really chilling. I saw you also tweeted a chart of um, the decreasing belief that it's essential to live in a
1: democracy. In a democracy. Right. Yeah.
0: yeah, that's the tough. Yeah. F- Go ahead. Sorry.
1: No, well, I mean, you know, part of that is because, you know, every every generation has to learn that democracy is not something that runs by itself. You need to actually fight for those values or otherwise they erode. And, you know, younger people um, didn't live with the threat of the Soviet Union, the Cuban Missile Crisis, potential Armageddon, uh, didn't necessarily see that there were alternative ideologies that were necessarily threatening them. And they don't necessarily think that they get a lot. Uh, From their governments, a lot of their institutions they think of as less legitimate and less legitimized. And so, as a consequence, whether it's in the United States or across Europe, you ask people in their 20s, do they think that living in a democracy is essential? And they say, nah, not really a priority.
0: Right. Well, it reminds me of asking somebody who hasn't been sick for a very long time how important their health is. You know, they're going to have a very different answer than somebody who just beat cancer. Um, so well, it's uh, affluenza once again. So let's talk a little bit about the the big conference in Davos, the economic conference. What actually happens there? Does the Bilderberg Group get together with the uh, the Illuminati and and decide all our fates or what?
1: Look, the, the deep state meetings are so secret right. that there are the, those panels are not even on the agenda. That's uh, just a
0: <laughs> I I just assumed that you you knew the back door to sneak into and cock and ear. and
1: find out what they're saying. <laughs> They do actually have meetings that are off the agenda, and they're pretty interesting, and they involve the principals, um, a few of the CEOs, uh, you know, sort of some of the top foreign ministers, heads of state, and they're really interesting off-the-record conversations, but they're pretty much the same as you would have anywhere else in the world. they are just more of them. Um, What's interesting about uh, Davos is that you know, of the 2000 attendees, 90% of them are real influencers, either captains of industry or government leaders or people with a lot of uh, of, of uh, attention share. Uh, on the issues that they're expert in. Um, and so therefore, the meetings that you have, and they almost never go more than 20 or 30 mi- minutes, because people want to get a lot in for the five or six days, people won't even take those meetings, unless they're prepared to do actual business, get something done. So it becomes an incredibly productive time. Um, but it's not like there's a global agenda that gets advanced. It's not like the public meetings are, you know, sort of making a big difference for the state of the world. And that that's because the global environment is much more fragmented it's not the fault of the wef or the fault of any you know sort of institution itself it's more the way the world is heading
0: ian bremer president and founder of eurasia group is on the line uh, i'm afraid of geeking out too far on this stuff because i find it so interesting but uh, i've been reading a lot about uh, china becoming increasingly influential for instance in africa some would say at the expense of the united states uh, but there's a lot to not like in the Chinese model of moving into.
1: Let's lock this stuff up long term. And the one belt, one road strategy, which is their equivalent of the Marshall Plan, but without the democracy and the free markets, is going to be seven times the size of the Marshall Plan inflation adjusted. Wow. So when when I travel to countries like Nigeria, you know, India, Indonesia, And I ask, who do you pay more attention to, the Americans or the Chinese? They say, the Chinese are writing all these checks, and we love checks. But, you know, the fact is that Chinese don't promote democracy. They don't promote human rights. They're not interested in a free market. Um, They have a state capitalist economy, and when they write checks, this is a commercial quid pro quo. They expect these countries to take on not just buy their goods and use Chinese labor, but also take on Chinese standards for doing business, and as that happens, American companies doing business in these countries, or and Western com- companies generally, are going to have an increasingly hard time. That's a real problem.
0: Well, is it fair to say that the Chinese are acting uh, in a lot of ways similar to the colonial powers in that they go in, they exploit, although they write bigger checks, um, and in the long term, you know, they pay off the elite, but they're not doing the region much good. Or is that just?
1: Uh, no that that's absolutely true. Uh, they are doing the region good in terms of uh, building infrastructure, right? That's really important. Uh, infrastructure, whatever whoever builds it is important and helps facilitate growth. The quality of the Chinese infrastructure tends to be a lot lower than that of uh, the United States and and the European countries. Um, but ultimately, sure, first and foremost, they're thinking about resources commercial gains what their country needs and in that regard it feels a lot like you know 19th century europe early 20th century europe in the united states
0: ian bremer president founder of eurasia group with us uh let's get back to davos uh, what do you suppose is the the overarching attitude about donald j trump coming to visit what do you expect uh, to see in here
1: Well, uh, look, he he is um, not popular uh, in the Davos group. He's got 40 percent approval ratings in the United States. His approval rating at Davos, if there was such a thing, I'm being generous by saying five percent. Right. And that is because many of the things that, you know, Donald Trump has done internationally are literally some of the only things that have brought uh, the world together against him. I mean, when Trump left the Paris deal, I mean, literally every other country in the world disagreed with that. I am hard pressed to find anything else in 2017 that you can find every other country agreeing on. (laughs) Literally. And so, I mean, the fact is that, you know, at the WEF, at Davos, you will find a lot of CEOs that are happy with Regulatory rollback under Trump. They're happy with the tax cuts. They're certainly happy with the growth. But on the global stage outside the United States, how do they feel about Trump? They can't stand him. They're happy he's coming because it shows that the meeting is relevant and the place to be and it brings more attention to it, but they really don't like him. And they'll make that very clear. The speeches that have been given at Davos, the big ones so far, Angela Merkel uh, this morning, the German chancellor, uh, Michelle Temer, the Brazilian uh, president, Justin Trudeau, the Canadian premier, uh, Narendra Modi, who opened the conference uh, from India, um, all of these leaders have, in veiled and not so veiled ways, criticized Trump's move towards protectionism, anti-globalism, anti-multilateralism. They're all taking their shots at the American president. Not that Trump necessarily cares a lot personally, but that's the environment he's heading into. It, he's, not a, he's not a globalist, and if it was B- if Bannon, if Steve Bannon were still in power, Trump would not be going. But since he's gone, you know, Trump's, issue, Trump's interest is all the media is there, all the leaders are going. I need to dominate the headlines. That's why I'm going, and I, I don't think it's any more strategic than that.
0: We'll wait and see. Ian Bremer, president and founder of Eurasia Group, a great follow on Twitter. Uh, Ian, it's always great to catch up. Thanks a million for the time.
1: Wonderful chatting with you. Talk to you soon. Thank you.
0: Uh, yeah, sorry there. I was geeking out on a, the whole African development thing and Chinese influence in the globe because I find it so interesting. But, um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, I tell you what Let's follow up on that When we come back Let's take a quick break um, I know a lot of you Especially Trump fans uh, re- Heard a lot you didn't like um, And we'll, we'll re-approach that And talk about it A little bit um, Where I agree with Mr. Bremer And where I disagree uh, Part of it has to do with The way he makes his living And the way I make mine So we'll talk about that next It's the Armstrong and Getty Show Strong and getty. The voice of the West. earth or released jimmy hendrix song around that was pretty cool uh, it's just jimmy uh you know playing his guitar but uh, yeah drag that up sometime hey we don't have to do it now but uh welcome to the armstrong and getty show just talked to
2: ian bremer of eurasia group couple of uh texts worth mentioning sean yeah we got a uh, one texter chiming in world leaders at davos don't like trump because he calls their asses out Right. Another one, uh, don't agree with everything uh, Ian Bremmer says, but great to hear opposing view of the of the globalist uh, view. Sure. Uh, good interview. Yeah, okay, that's nice. Uh, so real quickly,
0: before we get into that stuff, because once I get started, it's tough to stop me, because I find it so interesting. Uh, so uh, Ian was talking about uh, African countries, and he used the uh, the colorful descriptor that the POTUS used the other day, a shizzle hole, if you will. And uh, I know people listening online heard it, and I don't know if some people in various places may have heard it. You know, look, it's been printed in, in every newspaper in the country, practically, and it's on the cable news and the rest of it, and everybody's going to be fine. If your kid runs around saying, shizzle hole, shizzle hole, shizzle hole all day and bringing uh, ignominy and embarrassment to your family, I apologize for that, because that's not cool. But uh, let's all not pretend that uh, a big it was a big deal. In fact, Michael, I was going to tell you to let it go. But I thought, no, I can't figure out what button to press to tell you that before I before you hit the, the uh, button. And I don't want to yell at an Ian Bremmer saying, ah, it's too late. So anyway, uh, we're all going to be fine, everybody. Uh, so, okay. So the one thing, and I swear, I would love to hear Ian Bremmer, and um, I'm not qualified to do it. I mean, I could hack away at it, but maybe not a Steve Bannon, but somebody in a very sober way talk about, uh, globalization and the pros and cons. And uh, Trump will call them on some of their crap, no doubt, at Davos. For the longest time because I studied economics and international relations back in my school and days, and have actually, you know, practically every day since then. I uh, just they nobody, no giant expensive institution gave me a piece of paper for it uh, since, you know, back in the day. But anyway, uh I bought for a long time the indisputable truth that Globalization and global trade grows economies, uh, and by leaps and bounds, I mean, a lot. Uh, more at some times than others, and absolutely more in some places than others. Uh, so yeah, the, econ- the American economy grows by 10% uh, per whatever uh, because of global trade. But the problem is politically, and this is what he's talking about, the economics of it being good, the politics of it being terrible, is uh, that globalization causes enormous dis- disruptions within a country. And entire industries are wiped out within a country, or entire chunks of the workforce are suddenly uh, rendered irrelevant and unable to make a living. Uh, meanwhile, the national economy has grown by 10%, so how can anybody complain? Well, they can complain because they don't have a friggin' job anymore. And the benefits of the globalization tend to accrue much more heavily to the people at the top. And so, yeah, the economy has grown, and there is actually there are plenty of positive benefits for everybody. Um, but they're unevenly distributed, and the pain is unevenly distributed. And if you're living in a period of blindingly fast change and globalization... What you're putting up with is eternal disruption and dislocation in a nation's economy. So, I hope that was reasonably understandable. I think some of you, you know, understood it perfectly well, some not so much. But if you assume all it's true, and it is, then what do you do? And that's the great question. Trump talks big about economic nationalism I think he's way more moderate than than you know like uh, well people who oppose him would like you to believe he did that thing with the uh, the tariffs on the solar panels yesterday or the day before We'll have to see how that works out the uh the uh what do you call him the uh, minister of energy or whatever his <laughs> title is in California freaked out and wet his pants uh We'll have to see. Because there's no there's no doubt that China dumps goods on the market, artificially lowered prices, government subsidies, etc. And, and that's bull crap. It's not supposed to happen. It's illegal. And I'm I'm if if that's what Trump's doing, standing up to that, I'm glad he is. Um, but so well, enough of that. Enough of that. It's it's hard though. It's really hard. And and it's harder because a lot of political creatures are making their bones, they're getting their contributions and the rest of it from the people who are benefiting most from the globalization. So they're going to spin it that it's it's good for you. Um, and it's not always bad for you. There are those who are, you know, so conspiratorial about it that they say it's always bad, but it's not. Uh, I love this, though. I mentioned this at the outset of the interview. Uber, the world's largest taxi company, owns no vehicles. Facebook, the most popular media owner, creates no content. Alibaba, the most valuable retailer has no inventory and Airbnb, the largest accommodation provider, owns no real estate. Um, all unthinkable notions just 20 years ago. and 20 years is the blink of an eye. Um, so I'll tell you what, you just we were talking in kind of philosophical tones about expectations the other day. Uh, more on kind of a personal micro level, but boy, in terms of careers and commerce and business and the rest of it, I don't I think I think we all have to be more less CEO sitting at a big desk, kinda of the uh the image of the old timey CEO, and more NFL quarterback in the pocket, kinda of dancing on our toes and glancing wildly around to see what's gonna happen next. It's just the only way to run a business at this point. Um and, and just you just can't cling to the past. You can't anymore. Uh, the other thing that we mentioned briefly in the interview that uh, Ian tweeted about was the percentage of people who say it is essential to live in a democracy. In the United States, in nine, in the 1930s, 75% of people said it is essential to live in a democracy. 75%. Uh, and then they have, for some reason, the
2: 80s is where this ends? Well, he was... The, the quote was, oh, dang, millennials. He was showing that this kind of trend was happening before... Us oh Coddle yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, right. Existed. But in the 80s it was already down to barely
0: 30%. That is purely a function of you smug pricks. Sorry, that was unnecessarily hard. Yes. You smug pricks not understanding what you have and what you don't have, which is the uh, oppression of a totalitarian government or the the suffocation of socialism or the nightmares of communism. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, trade in democracy. Go live in China. See how you like it.
3: Marshall, what are your headlines? All right, Trump slamming Senator Chuck Schumer calling him Crying Chuck. That and more coming up minutes from now, Armstrong and Getty.
0: Crying Chuck. Fantastic. I'll look forward to it. Marshall has news next. Armstrong and Getty Show. the Armstrong Egeti Show. Welcome. The New York Post has a headline this morning. Uh, it's a story by Michael Goodwin, who's uh, definitely a, uh, a conservative. But headline is, Evidence Suggests a Massive Scandal is Brewing at the FBI. Uh, we'll have a little more on that. We talked about a lot yesterday. Let's see if we can get to that. More Ian Bremmer reaction. Best stories to live in the world. Plus the charming and delightful Republican Representative Patrick Meehan of the ethics committee who used taxpayer funds to settle a sexual harassment claim against him. uh, And he was the guy who got to approve that. Oh, geez. So he's on the Ethics Committee. That seems right. like a flaw. Yeah, yeah, absolutely beautiful. There's your uh, there's your government. And that's what you're looking to to give you a, a fine and, and happy life. Always look to the federal
3: government because they'll
0: solve all your problems.
3: Oh. Marshall Phillips has the news, Marsh. Well, President Trump slamming Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer following his decision, Schumer's decision, to pull funding for a border wall from negotiations over DACA. Trump tweeting last night, doubling down that funding for a wall is required as any part of a potential deal. Trump's tweet reading, "Crying Chuck Schumer fully understands, especially after his humiliating defeat, that there is no wall, there is no DACA. We must have safety and security together with a strong military for our great people!
0: Yeah, crying Chuck saw the left wing of his party go into absolute apoplectic fits. Over the stupidity of the shutdown and then the uh, uh, caving, or so it was seen on the left. And he is desperately trying to recapture his left-wing bona fides yep. with this whole, there being be no wall. I offered it, now I'm taking it off the table. No, you offered to authorize it, but not appropriate it. Meaning you offered nothing. And Trump finally got advised by his advisors, which is what advisors ought to do. Yep. Uh, that, that, whoa, 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 dude, no, no. He didn't promise you what he thinks he promised you. And so when the deal fall, fell apart, of course it was going to fall apart. So uh, back to square one. But keep,
3: just remember, both parties want to deal with this. Nobody wants to ship those people out. Nobody. Right. Almost nobody. Chilling warning about North Korea's ability to hit the U.S. with a nuke from the CIA director, Mike Pompeo. He was telling CBS News. How close North Korea is from nuclear strike capability against the states.
2: A handful of months.
1: I hope to be able to say it a year from now as well. The United States government is working diligently to extend that timeline.
3: So according to uh, Pompeo, a handful of months away before the... Uh the realism sinks in and becomes, uh, you know, uh, a real threat.
0: Interesting. I don't want to distract from that because it is chilling and uh, we all want to uh, quake in our, our, our shoes over the prospect of a North Korean attack. But uh, Joby Warwick did a really good piece in the WAPO in December that I've been holding on to ever yeah. since that nobody paid any attention to. I heard no talk about it. Five months before North Korea's first nuclear test in 06, U.S. intelligence officials sent a report to Congress warning that secret work was also underway on a biological weapon. The communist regime, which had long ago acquired the pathogens that cause smallpox and anthrax, had assembled a team of scientists that seemed to be lacking in certain technical skills. But they've made leaps forward, and, and the headline of this article is Microbes by the Ton. Officials see weapons threat... Uh, biological weapons threat as North Korea gains biotech expertise. They think there's a more critical danger of that than nuclear attack. But nobody's talked about that, that they are, you know, Saddam Hussein gone wild with uh, biological agents and chemicals and the rest of it. And the problem is they may, well, because they're desperate
3: for cash, sell them to really bad people around the world. So let's hope they don't gradually warming up to the new age of getting around. Nearly two-thirds of Americans say they're afraid to ride in self-driving cars, but that's actually far fewer than a year ago. A study by AAA finds 63% of the people asked say they're not ready to hop into a car with no driver, but a similar survey last year Showed 78% of the people questioned said no thanks to self-driving cars. So, I'm sorry, what's the new number? New number is a 63%. Oh, my. So, I mean, people are gradually warming up to this idea of jumping into a self-driving car.
0: Yeah, I definitely want to give it a few more generations. I mean, there's a headline the other day at one of the cars. I don't want to get it wrong because everybody goes crazy about this stuff for some reason. But self-driving car plowed
2: into the back of a stopped fire engine. Uh, That was responding to an emergency, I guess. Not good. Not good. One of my favorite examples of kind of the the conundrum of the self-driving cars is if you ask people, should a self-driving car, you know, drive itself off a bridge to save a bus full of children? Sure. Everybody says, yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But if you ask people, would you buy a car... That drives you off a bridge to save a bus full of children. Sure. people say no. I wouldn't buy that. Right. That's an interesting bridge that they have to figure out how to get by. Yeah. Well, I hope that doesn't happen a lot. The children in the
0: bridge, in the car, and the rest of it. Let's let's pray it doesn't.
2: A report out now says Netflix
3: spent thirty nine million dollars on shows it didn't release because two leading men, Kevin Spacey and Louis C.K., were accused of sexual misconduct. Thirty nine million worth. Yep. Yikes. Company's latest earnings report showed the $39 million charge in the final quarter of 2017 for, quote, unreleased content we've decided not to move forward with. Although Netflix didn't specifically name Spacey or Louis C.K., those two men were on the shows that were canceled. The company has confirmed that harassment allegations contributed to its financial write-down. Okay, I have to pay off the Black
0: Lives Matter story I've been teasing since, like, 6 o'clock, but... Also need to get to this story. What is the, what was last year the biggest corporate lobbyist in Washington D.C. in 2017? The single biggest check writing spender on influence in D.C. What company? Could
3: I make a general
0: guess? Well, I'll tell you. uh, I will tell you the reason I bring it up. The reason I was surprised is, you know, everybody is picturing, you know, oil. Oh, the banks, the evil banks, the big banks, Wells Fargo trying to give. Goldman Sachs. Goldman said the unions. The the Coke, The Coke Coke brothers. brothers, The Coke brothers. George Soros. Whatever. Of course. It was Google. What? The biggest heavyweight check writing influence uh, wielder. Or would be influence gather. Right. Right. Google it. So we'll talk about that during the 8 o'clock hour.
3: All right, that's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips of the Armstrong and Getty
2: Show, the voice of the West. Surprised! Uh, Just a quick follow-up on that Netflix story, so that $36 million is just a small fraction of their $8 billion budget on content for 2018 alone.
0: Mmm, perspective. All right, so all of that. We'll try to get to all of that. To our damnedest. But I gotta pay off this. Black Lives Matter shuts down a yoga class. New heights of ridiculousness by the Social Justice Warriors. Stay tuned, to Armstrong and Getty Show.
1: This is Armstrong and Getty. The voice of the West.
0: strong and getty show oh man do we have good stuff going up absolutely hilarious and uh jack is sick again i'm going to talk about that a little bit at eight o'clock camel beauty contest disrupted by scandal that's right so uh Beloved Armstrong, you get a listener sent this uh, along to us from the Sacramento, California area. Um, Facebook post from a friend who runs a local yoga class in Sacto. This post is in regard to the events surrounding the cancellation of my rap yoga class. If you're not aware, a local yoga studio owner, the local chapter of Black Lives Matter, and others complained that the class appropriated black culture. BLM threatened to protest the class if we didn't cancel. Now, a person or two complained, I guess, and they canceled it. And the rest of this post is somebody desperately trying to avoid controversy. Because they're running a business that is probably on a shoestring. If you've never owned a business, it's really, really hard not to go out of business because it's expensive and you desperately are trying to find customers, blah, blah, blah. And so this person really wants to avoid controversy. I can respect that, and I will not drag them into it. I'm not speaking for them. They have no idea I'm going to be talking about this. I will also tell you this. Unjustified police violence against any citizen of a free society is unconscionable and should be uh, rooted out. Always, regardless of the color of skin, and there's absolutely a history of uh, black people um, being on the receiving end of unjustified uh, violence. White people, too, but a lot of black people. And so, as a libertarian type, I'm, I'm, I'm with y'all on trying to have responsible, ethical, constitutional policing. Okay? I will tell you this, though. The idea that a yoga class, specifically for people who love hip-hop music, is somehow appropriating black culture is idiotic it is absolutely idiotic if you are right if you are right i will join your righteous battle and we have only one choice we can't let radio stations in majority white markets broadcast hip hop music because they are selling commercials they are making money off of black culture they are doing precisely what this yoga studio dared to do. They yoga are, routines. They are that's right, Mrs. Clinton. What they are doing is they are playing hip hop music often made by black artists for people who like it. And those people do things while they are listening to the music, and we can't put up with that another second. In fact, The only way to protect black culture is to forbid it being aired anywhere where white people or Asian people or the Hispanics might hear it. I'm with you, BLM. Let's ban the beautiful, influential, brilliant music that black people have made from time immemorial. Because it's appropriating their culture for a yoga class for people who really like that music. If you got some white friends. Sing it, Reverend. They'll
3: be clapping like
0: this, y'all. It's Almost impossible to parody, you social justice warrior Looney Tunes. You all think you're so, you're crazy. You're fruitcakes. Oh my God, what are we going to do with you? Give you your constitutional rights and express your opinions, actually. Why don't you ask Jay-Z what he thinks about white people listening to his music? I'm thinking he's in favor of it. God, that's just so dumb. You're so dumb. Moving along. I don't know. I don't think anything more needs to be said. I feel bad for the gal running the yoga studio who's terrified that she will be protested and go out of business and be seen as quote-unquote racist because that's a, you know, oh, my God. if uh, uh, Nobody would ever call somebody racist unless they were one. So we can only assume that she is a racist and her yoga studio is a racist. Papa. It's just unbelievable. It's un-effing believable. You know what? I should be I should be uh, glad that I'm witnessing these times. How about you put on some? Because they're so interesting.
2: Put on some music, stretch, maybe break a sweat. Stop getting all worked up over this stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to start doing the yoga. I need to increase my flexibility. My buddy told me about this yoga class that's like not the strenuous stuff. You just kind of lay there and you stretch
2: the whole time. Yeah. That's all it is. And I need that so bad. i yeah. got to do that. i got to do that. I've done a handful of yoga classes because I, too, am inflexible, and I re- recognize that as being bad as I grow older. Oh, yeah. It gets worse and worse. Um, and I know you were really into cat yoga for a while, where you
0: bring your cat, <laughs> and you let it climb all over you. And, it's, and you it's mimic tail. the poses that the
2: cat does. Exactly. Yeah. That's the
0: cute part. And they swish their tail in your face, and everybody laughs. That's just wonderful. Anyway. So Jack isn't here today. Uh, well, he was here today. (laughs) If you heard the opening segment of the show, (laughs) um, how, how, what order did I tell Well, so he, he comes in the, well, he was out sick yesterday. He thought he might have the flu or something. And and I'm sure y'all know this. The flu is absolutely ravaging, uh, the entire country. And in particular, the West coast. And, you know, I was talking to a gent, um, a couple of gents who who run a company that's going to become a new great sponsor of the Armstrong and Getty show. Can't wait to work with these guys. They do terrific work. But anyway, they were talking about the percentage of their crews that are getting knocked out by flu. And so anyway, uh, Jack can't come in yesterday. He says he's got the shakes. He feels terrible. Um, You know, sure as hell sounds like the flu. And so he, he doesn't come in. Well, uh, I texted him at one point uh, last evening. It was probably 6.30. I said, how are you feeling? And he said, I'm coming in tomorrow. And I thought, oh, no, no that's not what I asked. That is not what I asked. <laughs> that's a dodge. Listen, you are my friend, my business partner. I just, I am concerned about your health, but you want to know the truth? I'm not asking about you. I'm asking for me. And Sean and Anton and Michelangelo and Marshall and everybody who works in this building. How are you feeling? And I'm coming in. uh And so he shows up this morning at 6.04 as the show begins. He's got his, his his winter coat on, zipped up to his chin, and a beanie on and all, and he's kind of hunched over, and he says, is it especially cold in here? Because I'm shivering and I'm sweating, and we're like, all right, get out! And at first he th- you know, thought it was like a bit or something. We were just having some fun. And and I appreciate you guys because I've tried to do this in the past. And, and unlike me, old Placid Joe, which is my nickname behind the scenes, even Keel, sometimes they call Did him. Did you say Placid or Flacid? Is he now? Um, uh, Jack's known to have just an eensy weensy little temper. And so in the past, I said, Look, you got to go. Don't, you shouldn't be here. And everybody else who works on the show just sit there quietly, like looking down, like they couldn't hear the conversation, not wanting to weigh in. Well, today, evidently, you know. The uh, the regional crisis is acute enough that uh, everybody else joined me and said, "Yeah, go get go," and and I said, "Well, it was. I guess I said it after uh, after he left." That um, I don't know how it was at anybody else's house among wives, girlfriends, kids, whatever. Man, I heard it. Don't let him come in. Do not. Are you kidding? But you know what? I tell you what. Through chemotherapy and divorce and a hundred other things, dude shows up like the sunrise. You can't keep him down. And it's incredibly admirable. Uh, you know, he makes uh, uh, Cal Ripken look like a baby, like a complainer. On the other hand, when you got the flu, nobody wants to see you. Nobody.
2: I just feel like I'm gonna die. Yeah. I feel I've got. A, I feel like I've got a bowling ball in my stomach. Yeah, I'm well, not
0: kidding. Well, unless you ate a bowling ball, stay the hell away from the rest of us. All right. And I tell you, I speak for every employer, every coworker, every manager, every underling, every vendor, every customer, every accounting department across town. If you got the flu, nobody wants to see you. All right. Coming up, camel contest, wrapped by scandal. And uh, cord cutting. A lot of us want to do it, not quite sure how. Stay with us, Armstrong and Getty Show.